I'm so thankful, Father, that you're present right in this room. That you have promised where two or three are gathered together, there you are right in the midst. And so I'm so thankful that you're present, that you love us, that you care for us. I'm so thankful that from the beginning of time, you chose us to be your children. And we thank, thank you for all that that means. So guide us this morning as we, as we study your word together. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this has been a, a rough season of life. I think for all of us. Life as we've known it in the past is gone. You know, life will never be the same in oh so many, many, many ways. Uh, there are circumstances that have happened or that are happening or that will happen that really ultimately are out of our control. And so life is changing. Things are, are rapidly changing. And these circumstances that are happening are going to indirectly or directly impact our world, our country, our community, our church family, our individual families. It's going to impact our, each, each and every one of us. So these have been some really rough months. It's been a rough season of life. Um, we're all devastated by the loss of, of Gina Fisher, Don Beatty. We've all been praying for the physical crisis that Sherry Velasquez and Selena Castro are, are going through. And we've got other family members who are struggling with COVID and, and all sorts of things, cancer, and, and on and on and on we could go. I, I've been encouraged by the vast amount of prayer that I've seen in our church family and for that matter, the community of Christians over the last number of weeks. Uh, people sending prayer texts back and forth, and it's people praying for one another on Facebook, and we've got the, the, you know, the prayer chain and lots of praying going on, and, and that's good. We should do that because God has promised to hear our prayers, and God has promised to answer our prayers, and, and we count on that. But let me ask you a very sobering question. This is a sobering question, a question that we need, to, we need to wrestle with, and that is simply this. What do you do when the circumstances of life fly in the face of the promises of God? What do you do when the circumstances of life fly in the face of the promises of God? I, 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 what do you do? When life just hits you so hard and somehow it overshadows all those promises that God has given you in his word. Uh, for instance, Hebrews 13, 5, a great promise from the Lord. He says this, he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So there's the promise. And yet there's the loss of a child or a teenager who's murdered by a relative, or a house fire, 
or the loss of a job or an ugly divorce or a nasty child custody battle going on in your in your world or the loss of a spouse don't you sometimes just want to cry out and say god why are you letting this happen where are you in all of this what are you doing god or, or there's the promise in James chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And yet there's the circumstances. Illness, chronic illness, chronic pain, Cancer, COVID, and on and on we go. And maybe you just want to say, God, I need some answers here. Why aren't you responding to our prayers? Why isn't healing coming? Or, or there are the promises, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And, and Philippians 4.19, But my God will supply all your needs according to His uh, riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And yet, the circumstances. You've lost your job, you're unemployed, <clears throat> you haven't declared bankruptcy, the pandemic caused you to lose hours and hours at work, and you're so far behind on all your bills and all of that, and you say, God, why is all of this happening? What about your promises to me? What's going on? Or, or the promise, direct your children on the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. And you've done your part. You've, you've raised your child. You've put them on the right path. And yet as an adult, they are so far from God. And you're saying, God, I did my part, but you failed in your part. Don't you sometimes just wonder, what do you do when life circumstances fly in the face of the promises of God? That, that's a question that we need to address this morning. I want to direct our attention to uh, probably an unusual book for this topic, but it's the book of Exodus. And a story in that book that really illustrates this dilemma <clears throat> of life circumstances that fly in the face of God's stated promises to the children of Israel. You see, God came and He made some, a great and wonderful promise to the children of Israel uh, who were enslaved in Egypt. I mean, God had appeared to Moses to announce that he had seen the circumstances of the slavery and the, the oppression of his people in captivity there in Egypt, and that he was coming now to deliver them. And so Moses took that announcement to the people, and they were excited by what God was going to do. Exodus 4.31, Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They were so grateful and in awe and, and were excited what, that God was going to do something. I mean, He saw their situation. He cared about what they were going through, and He had promised to deliver them. But then comes the rest of the story. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and uh, told Pharaoh what was going on. And Pharaoh said, no, 
you're not leaving this place. And it just blew up right there. Listen, listen to Exodus 5, beginning of verse 4. <clears throat> Who do you think you are, Pharaoh shouted, distracting the people from their tasks. Get back to work. Look, there are many people here in Egypt, and you are stopping them from doing their work. That same day, <coughs> excuse me, that same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the slave drivers and foremen he had set over the people of Israel. Do not supply the people with any more straw for making bricks. Let them get it themselves. But don't reduce their production quotas by a single brick. They obviously don't have enough to do. If they did, they wouldn't be talking about going into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to their God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to these liars. The slave drivers were brutal. Meet your daily quota of bricks just as you did before, they demanded. Then they whipped the Israelite foreman in charge of the work crews. <coughs> so the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him, Please don't treat us like this, they begged. We are given no straw, but we are still told to make as many bricks as before. We're beaten for something that isn't our fault. It's the fault of your slave drivers for making such unreasonable demands. But Pharaoh replied, you're just lazy. You obviously don't have enough to do. If you did, you wouldn't be saying, let us go uh, so we can offer sacrifice to the Lord. Now get back to work. No more straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the regular quota of bricks. Since Pharaoh would not let up on his demands, the Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble. As they left Pharaoh's court, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, May the Lord judge you for getting us in this terrible situation with Pharaoh and his officials. You have given them an excuse to kill us. And I love Moses' honesty after that confrontation. Listen to what he said. Exodus 5.22, he says, Then Moses went back to the Lord and he protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people. And you have done nothing to rescue them. God, you promised, is what he's saying here. And we've been praying and we've been counting on you. And you haven't done a thing. The reality is that there are no easy answers in life. There are no easy answers. And so what I want to just encourage you, first of all, do not get sucked up in some kind of false theology that says that God's desire for you is that you're to be healthy and wealthy. Don't, don't get sucked up in that because that's not a biblical concept. Uh, you know, you just need more faith. And if you did, you know, folks, I want you to know that being a Christian is no guarantee of exemption from trouble. Trouble is a part of life. Folks, the greatest miracle that Jesus performed was raising Lazarus from the dead. But you know what happened? At some point down the road, Lazarus died a second time. And you know that every person that Jesus healed in the New Testament, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of healings, 
Every one of those subsequently, sometime down in their life, succumbed to something else, and they died. You see, if God's will for Christians was that they all be healthy and they all be wealthy, then Christians would live for centuries and they would live in the most luxurious houses and drive the fanciest cars, and people would take notice. And people would want to become Christians for all the wrong reasons. And you know who would be the first candidates in line to be baptized? It would be the greediest among us. No, my friends, God doesn't promise exemptions. What He does promise is His presence. Regardless of what we're going through, listen to Isaiah 43. God says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So God said, I will be with you when you're going through the most tough times. When those circumstances are falling in all around you, I will be there with you. And so look at, for instance, at Daniel. Daniel, a great man of faith. And what happened to him? He ended up being thrown into a lion's den. And yet in the midst of that lion's den, God closed the mouths of those lions so that he wasn't harmed. Or there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrew children. Children, they were probably late teenagers, but anyway, we call them the Hebrew children, okay? And they were thrown in the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down and worship the, the statue of the, of the emperor. And in the midst of that walked one like the Son of Man. Or there was Stephen, the very first Christian martyr who proclaimed Jesus Christ, and as a result of that, he was stoned to death. Uh, you talk about Peter. Peter was thrown in jail on numerous occasions. Tradition says that Peter uh, was crucified upside down because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's the Apostle Paul. Look at all that he lists. He's been shipwrecked. He's been robbed. He's been stoned and left for dead. Um, he's gone through all of these difficulties. He even talks about the fact that he has some kind of physical ailment. He calls his thorn in the flesh. And all of those things are there, and yet he's a man of God, a great man of God. You see, we're all going to have hard times. All of us are going to face difficulties. There are going to be times when, man, we're in over our head and we're paddling for everything that we're, that we're worth, you know, that, we're, that we can do. And we find ourselves caught between a rock and a hard place and we're walking through the fire. Some of you have been through the fire lately. Some of you are in the fire right now. And maybe you have lots of questions. And yet God hasn't answered those questions yet. And maybe you're getting a little irritated. What I want you to say, it's okay. God's shoulders are broad enough that when you get a little bit ticked, He can handle that. Because He loves you and He knows, he knows your emotions. So what do you do when the circumstances of life fly in the face of the promises of God? I want to suggest four things that you need to do when God's promises seem so distant and when you just don't have a clue what's going on. Number one, you must realize that you will never have all the answers. 
you'll never have all the answers. So stop trying to figure God out. Let God be God. And just rest in Him. See, God is not obligated to explain Himself to you. If He chooses to do that, then praise the Lord. But sometimes you're not going to understand what He's doing. So don't think you need to have all the answers. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. God says this, My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Folks, God is working out a plan that probably is entirely different than your plan or or my plan. And often he chooses not to share with us what he's up to. Ecclesiastes, the writer said this in 11.5, he says, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. And then Paul writing in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who knows enough to be his counselors? Friends, I simply want you to know that there's going to be times in our life when we won't understand what God is doing or what he's up to. I mean, we may even wonder if he's still around. That's where Job found himself. You remember the story of Job? Job, a righteous man, and yet God allowed Satan to bring all sorts of traumas and circumstances into his life. And at one point, Job (coughs) said, you know what? I need to talk to God. I need God to give me some answers here. I need to know what he's up to. And so in Job 23, uh, beginning at verse 2, he says this, I'm not letting up. I'm standing my ground. My complaint is legitimate. God has no right to treat me like this. It isn't fair. If I knew where on earth to find him, I'd go straight to him. I'd lay my case before him face to face, giving him my arguments firsthand. I'd find out exactly what he's thinking, discover what's going on in his head. Do you think he'd dismiss me or bully me? No, he'd take me seriously. He'd see a straight living man standing before him. My judge would acquit me for good of all charges. I travel east looking for him. I find no one. Then west, but not a trace. I go north, but he's hidden his tracks. Then south, but not even a glimpse. See, Job thought that he had God figured out. I mean, after all, he surmised, you know what? God, God's wrong in all this. He's, he's made a mistake. He, I shouldn't be going through this. This was reserved for somebody else or whatever. Uh, he shouldn't have allowed this to happen. But the truth of the matter is that God is always working in ways that you and I will never understand this side of glory. Second, not only do we need to realize that we don't have all the answers, but second, we must recall the fact that God is present and involved in your life even when he seems absent or deaf. God is present and involved in your life even when he seems absent or deaf. You and I need to stand on that fact. We need to stand on those promises of God. Um, You know, time and time again in Scripture, 
we find the assurance. We find the promise that God says that I'm with you. I will always be with you. I'm always for you. I'm always at work around you for your good and for my glory. We can stand on that fact. He is always present. He's not absent. He's not deaf to what's going on in our life. And, and the key thing is you cannot trust your emotions. Don't trust your emotions. Your emotions will always deceive you. They'll always lead you astray. I mean, even when your perception and, 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 or your emotions tell you that, well, God doesn't care or, or, or that he's absent. Truth is, he cares intensely. And he's constantly present in all of his power. You see, Moses responded to what was going on with his emotions. That's where he started. His emotions were, wow, what's God, what are you doing? But later on, God said, Moses, you stand still and watch my mighty arm work on your behalf as God parted the the Red Sea for the children of Israel to pass through. Don't trust your emotions. Trust instead the promises of God. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So you and I need to learn to stand firm on the promise that God says, I am with you always. Third truth. You must remember that God's timing is perfect. Remember that God's time is perfect, even when we think he blew it. Um, How many of you remember 25 years ago, very vividly? 25 years is a long time, right? Do you realize 25 years is the length of time that Moses waited from the promise of a coming son to when that son was born? 25 years, and I'm sure he asked a million questions of God, but he never received an answer. All he had was the promise. All he had was the promise, and he held on to it for 25 years. Remember uh, Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus to come and and heal Lazarus, their brother who was sick, and Jesus waited until Lazarus was dead. He, he waited, you know, until it seemingly was, was just too late. I mean, was Jesus heartless? Was he cruel? Was he uh, just disinterested in, in taking care of the situation? Why didn't he come? And when he finally came, it was too late, or at least it seemed like it was too late. And then there was the prophet Habakkuk. At one point, Habakkuk got very depressed because he couldn't understand God's timing. And and, and he thought that God wasn't working fast enough. And God said to him these words, Habakkuk 2.3, But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow... Do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue by a single day. Folks, God is working by His plans and and not our plans. He's working according to His timetable, not your timetable, not my timetable. I mean, 
He had a, a grander plan than what, the, what Moses and the children of Israel thought possible. They just thought they'd go into Pharaoh and say, hey, let us go worship, and, and they would be gone, man. They'd split out of there. God had something much bigger in store where God would be glorified. And so time after time after time, God was shown to be who He was, the Almighty God, in plague after plague after plague, until finally Pharaoh ran, him, ran the people out of the, out of the town. God had a bigger plan for His glory. You and I need to realize that. Sometimes we don't understand what God's doing. He's got a plan that He's going to be glorified through. And then the fourth thing. You must recognize that your arms are too short to box with God. Don't even try it. Don't even try it. We're not equipped to argue with God. I go back to Job. Job had all these questions for God, and he said, God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Don't you understand? Don't you see? All these questions. And then God came and answered him and just leveled Job. Listen to, listen to God speak to Job. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying lines? What supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted with joy? And then in, in chapter 40 and verse 2, God said, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critics, but you don't have the answers. And then finally, Job responded in chapter 40, verse 3. It says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? <clears throat> I cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Job learned firsthand that you cannot box with God. So don't even try. We're not equipped to do so. So when you face the circumstances of life and they're just flying in the face of all the promises that God has given to us in His Word, how do you respond? I think there, you've got two choices. Number one, you can assume that God is dead or that He's irrelevant or that He's bored or He's just uninvolved in the lives of people. You can assume that, and that's what a lot of people do. God's not doing anything in my life, so evidently He doesn't exist or He's not around or He doesn't care or whatever. Or you can assume that God is angry at me because of something I've done in my life, some sin in my life. And so therefore He's allowing this to happen and, and that's why all this is going on and, and so God's angry at me. You could assume that and there are a lot of people out there who do that. Or... You could assume that God is whimsical, that He's untrustworthy, He's unfair, or even sinister. That you can't trust Him. Or fourth, you can assume that God is ignoring me because I didn't pray enough. Or I didn't have enough faith. Those are some assumptions that you can make and that people do make. That's one way in which you could respond. 
But the second way, and probably it's a better choice, just keep on trusting God. Just keep on trusting God. Hebrews 13, 5, God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? So I can just keep on trusting God regardless of the circumstances. And you know the reason I can do that is really simple, simply for one very crucially important reason. And that's found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Since God did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Uh, think about this. if God didn't hesitate to put it all on the line by sending His Son to die for you and for me, if 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 He didn't stop short of putting it all on the line, you know, if He didn't hesitate to do that, is there anything else that God wouldn't do for us? Jesus died for us. That, folks, is the greatest proof of what God wants to do in our life. The cross is the greatest proof of His undying love for us. And it's proof that He has our best interest in heart continually. God can be trusted exclusively because He was willing to die for us. Folks, God can be trusted. I just want you to know that. God can be trusted. All of us are going to face circumstances in life that are hard, that are painful, that fly in the face of every promise that God has given to us in His Word. But what I want you to know is that God's love is stronger and it lasts longer than any circumstance that you're going to face in life. And you can absolutely count on Him. You can trust Him. You can, can be, all you need to do is just be patient and watch God work in the midst of your circumstances to bring you good and to bring Him glory. He has a perfect plan. You and I need to count on it. <clears throat> As a reminder of uh, God's incredible love for us, We're going to share together in the supper of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, This is simply, folks, a reminder um, of what He's done for us. It's a time to remember, to reflect on the incredible sacrifice that Jesus Christ did on our behalf. This is an incredible testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ loves us and that we matter to God. Even even when we find circumstances falling in all around us, this tells us the death of Jesus Christ on the cross shouts loud and clear, you matter to God. God loves you. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't abandoned you. He loves you, and He's going to see you through every single difficulty in life that you might face. So for those of you at home, if you'll gather your bread, your juice, those of us here in this place, uh, we're going to take this. And folks, remember on these individual things, you've got to peel the top layer to get to the bread before you peel the bottom layer, okay? Paul, writing in 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and 24 said this. The teaching I gave you is, this, is the same teaching that I received from the Lord. <clears throat> On the night when the Lord Jesus was handed over to be killed, He took bread and He gave thanks for it. And then He broke the bread and He said, This is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His body was broken because He loved you. His body was crushed because He cares deeply for you. His body was pierced because you matter to Him. Then Paul writes this in verse 25. In the same way, after they ate, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new agreement that is sealed with blood, with the blood of my death. When you drink this, do it to remember me. Jesus' blood was shed that our sins might be forgiven. Jesus poured out His blood to set us free from bondage to sin. Jesus' blood was shed to secure forever our freedom from Satan and all of His all of his schemes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the body. Blessed be the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul added these words. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're telling others about the Lord's death till he comes again. One day Jesus is going to return. And all those circumstances, they'll be gone. They'll just fade away in the light of His glory. All those things that we're facing of life and death and turmoil and finances and all those things, they're going to be things of the past. And we will dwell in His presence forever. That is, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If there's never been a time in your life when you've surrendered to His Lordship in your life, man, do that. That is the most essential thing that you could ever do to make Jesus Christ your Savior, make Him your Lord. It's just simply to say, God, I need You in my life. I ask You to forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Take up residence there. I want to live for You because you've lived, You died for me and I want to make a difference. 
with people around me that they might know that you and you alone are Lord and Savior. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, man, this is a great time to do that right now. Just in the quietness of this moment in your heart, just ask Jesus, please come in. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to turn and I want to go in a different direction in my life. And I want to live for you. Father, thank you for reminding us this morning that even when we don't understand what's going on, there is one thing that we can count on, and that is you love us. You're present with us. That you will bring good out of every situation to your glory. That's what we want. That's what we desire. In your name we pray. Amen.